Hey, this is Jared from Compliments of Gus, and you are listening to Frequency. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Frequency Podcast, and I'm joined by my awesome friend who's a little bit older than me, Joe Brookhouse. What the heck, man? That's the way you want to start this out? Well, I'm a little bit older than you? Well, I have to say, people (laughs) have been saying that I look my age now because they can see my gray hair. And even older people in my church are saying, wow, you really, you know, you're... You know, because you're a pastor in the church, I don't know what it is, but you're you're starting to look your part, and I'm like, okay, you're just saying I look old. It's just funny. They're like, oh, you're you're kind of coming into yourself. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I got my hair cut about a week and a half ago. Hey, this is the way to start a podcast, folks, just so you know. Um, I got my hair cut about a week and a half ago, and the first, and it had been a while since I got my hair cut. It was a little long for me, and the first kind of, you know, the razor drops this clump of hair and it's pure white <laughs> pure white there's no color in it whatsoever and i went when did i get old <laughs> but you know then there's somebody listening i'm sure somebody listens who's older than i am i'll be uh, i'm 44 somebody who's going shut up shut up 44 you're a child <laughs> you know well and we have friends who have no hair so i guess we shouldn't complain at all i do have an almost 16 year old daughter so i guess i have to face the fact that I'm not a young punk anymore. No, no, you still look good. You still look good. Um, but you're looking a little more like your dad, just so you know. Oh, I don't know how to take that. Uh, All that know. being said, with age comes with age comes wisdom, and with wisdom comes responsibility, and blah, blah, blah. Thank you. Yeah, Anyways, that was great. we're back for another episode, folks, and we're glad you're still with us and hanging with us. You know, we're, we're regular average Joe's. <laughs> Good pardon, Lord. Pardon the, <laughs> pardon the fun. And, uh, <laughs> now we're, you know, Joe and I have been working hard behind the scenes. You may not hear from us as much on the podcast episodes, but if you follow our feed, you know, we're, we're doing a number of different things with uh, shorter uh, episode interviews, uh, the Amped interviews, and uh, we've been posting some blog posts, uh, some reviews. And behind the scenes, we're actually working on some other really uh, significant uh, time consumers, but um, significant projects that are worth sharing. So, Joe, do you want to talk about what you've been talking to one of our contributors about, Mandy? Oh, sure. Yeah, this is kind of cool. No, not not just kind of cool. This is cool. Uh, Mandy Thompson, she was our episode three interview guest, but she's been a friend of ours for years. Uh, she's a mixed media artist. She's also a songwriter. Um, she's a proficient blogger. She's a teacher. She's just, just a lot of stuff. We uh, chatted about the possibility of setting up a gallery for artists on frequency. It would be a, um, the, the intention behind it is to uh, allow uh, artists to submit their works. Basically, if you submit your art 
and um, it meets a certain standard, then we're going to share it on frequency in a gallery, a seasonal gallery. So every three months, there would be a, a one-month submission period, and then your art would be featured on frequency in our gallery for three months, and then we'd open up for another one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, something we're pretty excited about. It's not something you're going to get a prize for, but there will be a jury of people who will uh, evaluate the art that's submitted and then choose those that will be featured in that particular showing. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And that's something that we haven't even touched yet. So I think it's great Correct. to have a new a new type of art form to feature. And of course, we'll social blast on that. Uh, it's not just going to sit in a web page, folks. We're, you know, we'll make sure that there's an awareness of it, and I'm sure Mandy and her um realm of influence will share as well. So because we really want people to we want this to be a community. It's just ju- not just a bunch of information. Um, we want to get the word out about uh, different types of art. And uh, also, we've been involved in some behind-the-scenes work, uh, audio-related, with an author. Why don't you share about that, Joe? Well, maybe I need to take a half-step back because we uh, officially are a nonprofit. Uh, frequency is, and we filed for the tax-exempt status. So those are pretty good milestones for us because it's actually not cheap to to do that, and it's kind of a hassle. Mm -hmm. But we did that, but one of the things that we want to be able to do is we want to, Dan and I want to be at conferences. We want to get out there more and meet more people, but because, um, you know, we haven't focused on trying to generate revenue, it's out of our own pockets. Well, we need to fix that. We want to get out there and see you guys, but I don't want to pay for it. So Frequency is actually now going to be doing, um, we're going to be doing voiceover work. Um, that includes myself and Dan. And so uh, one of the first endeavors that we're involved in actually is working with Travis Thrasher. Anybody who's followed us knows who Travis is. He's got this fantastic um, in, uh, project that he is starting to work on this year. It's the beginning of the Hinterland saga for him, a three-book series. The first book is called Howling Wind, and what makes it unique is that he is writing it and publishing it a chapter a week online. No charge to anybody. Um, He refers to it as Lost Meets the Stand, so if those are cultural references that resonate with you whatsoever, (laughs) you will be intrigued. And so um, very shortly, we will start to publish via a dedicated podcast the narration of that book as it's released by Travis. And Dan's working on theme music. Uh, we'll have a promo video out here in the not too distant future. So um, we'll be sharing that with you, but we're really excited about that uh, aspect of um, working with Travis, but also getting into more voice work because it's something that Dan and I both really enjoy. Yeah. And it's something that has taken us time to learn, you know, and, and as we've been going through podcasting, I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out there. Some are done really well and some are just done poorly. Let's just face it. You know, we don't want to be lumped into that category. We really want to work hard on technology and, and making the sound as good as it can be. So, you know, as we've desired and endeavored to learn more about that, that's when we realized, you know, we actually enjoy doing this. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. Um, so we'll make sure that you're aware of uh, where it is and how to access it. And if you're into reading at all, um, you know, if you know, you're a commuter, this is a great way to, to keep up on a story in a, in a fresh new way. And honestly, I may be biased, but Joe's got an awesome narrating voice. You're a kind man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, and I mentioned this before, I'm so sick of hearing my own voice at this point because we've re- recorded several chapters now and going back and listening to myself just makes me want to 
like gouge out my eyes. I'm just so tired. <laughs> it's just going to get worse. But um, it's fun. You know, I was a, I was an actor in college and actor beyond that. There you go. Well, why don't we uh, talk about who we um, have for feature interview today? Um, actually, it's me this time. I know. Actually, the last time we recorded, we had to cut short our recording because in a few minutes you were going to talk to Drew Brown, who is our guest today. And I love the fact that it's another interview that you did. So uh, even though yes. I'm editing it, it's all on you, man. Go, tell <laughs> so us about Drew. Yeah, we're actually switching roles. And, and it's funny because Joe, Joe is actually sounding more like an audio engineer than me, even though I've done more of it, just because Joe has picked up a lot of the editing work while I've been doing other things. And uh, I have to say, he's pretty good at it. And actually, he's getting better than me because he's talking about terminology that I don't even use sometimes. So it's it's funny to see how, how Joe is actually turning into a pro engineer, not just a project manager anymore. I know. I'm, I'm so impressed with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you know, folks, that we don't take ourselves very seriously. We do not. But in any case, I had a great conversation with a, a Canadian artist, Drew Brown, mostly because he, he's not just a songwriter. He's not just a singer. Um, he's got a great sound. Uh, he's, he's also a father. He works in a church, uh, you know, leading worship week in and week out. Um, but he's, he's an artist through and through, but he's also a, a producer, engineer type. Uh, he's a gearhead. He understands the technology behind what he does. Uh, so I had a really good conversation about the process of producing an album, how to be, how to do that as a Canadian, um, you know, and do that being a family guy. How does that balance in your life? So because it's not easy to be an artist these days, especially the investment of making a full album. You know, a lot of artists out there are, you know, doing a song for radio or doing a three to five song EP, but to invest in an entire 10 to 12 song album. And on top of that, being a Canadian artist where the realm of influence is a lot smaller because you're not in Nashville yeah. or California uh, or, you know, in church releases, a lot of them are done in the Southern U.S. or Bethel or Hillsong. There's a lot of competition out there, but I think he pulled it off well. Uh, his style is is rock, synth, pop, techno with acoustic thrown in. So he's he's got a, a vast array. But don't listen to me talk about it. Why don't we go right to the interview that I did between myself and Drew Brown?
Hey everyone, Dan here from Frequency, and I have the honor of speaking with Drew Brown, who is a Canadian. I get to talk to a Canadian artist today. Drew, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Now, you've been really busy as of late, but before we get into that, I know who you are, but our listeners may not know who you are. Do you want to just give me a quick, uh, who is Drew Brown? Sure, yeah. Um, hi. My name is Drew. <laughs> Sounds like an AA meeting. <laughs> yeah. Hi, <right. laughs> Ben. No. Um, so I'm from Toronto, Canada area, you know, somewhere in that Toronto vicinity. And um, I'm a singer songwriter um, by night. And so I travel doing uh, um, events at churches, sometimes theaters or clubs, pretty much wherever God will take me. And I do that in the evenings. And then during the days, I work as a creative arts pastor at a church called Trinity Anglican Church. And uh, I'm part of a great team there. And we just serve the needs of people in our church, but also people in our city. Wow, that's great. So you're a busy man. All right. Yes, and I'm also a dad and a husband. I have two superhero kids who are, I can hear them outside my door right now. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy, where did you go? So, yeah. <laughs> that's who are you talking to in there? How old are your kids? <laughs> my son is six and my daughter is four. So it's a very fun oh, stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. Us. Yeah. See, my kids are getting to the teen point. So my, mm-hmm. my youngest is 11, um, wanting to be a teenager. And the other two are like, give me my space. but i will say my my middle child baden he's he's a musician all the way like as soon as i say hey i'm going to interview somebody he he hunts down their music and tries to emulate them so (laughs) he's the garage band king of my my uh old 2006 mac yeah exactly that's great that's awesome so um so firstly let's let's talk about um your music um now we know who you are now, are you self-produced? Yes, for better or for worse. <laughs> okay, so what, is, what does that look like? What is it, you know, what are the advantages and disadvantages of that from your perspective? Wow. The advantages are um, the investment financially on the, on the front end of things are pretty small. So normally I've been in like, I'm using quotation marks, everybody. I mean, I've been in like real bands before where, you know, like there's a label somewhere in there. They provide some money. You go into a studio. Um, with that money, you pay for the studio and the producer and the engineer and all the other costs of rentals and all that stuff. And then on the back end, as you tour, as you um, release your songs, you recoup that money back. Um, here, for me, um, <laughs> there was a large front-end investment. So I said, you know what, I really want a studio that I can use, but I can also hopefully bless other churches or other musicians um, to record their songs. And so large front end payoff. Um, but now, like, if I have a song idea or a song I really want to work on, all I got to do is kiss my kids goodnight, walk upstairs to the studio, and get to work. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's here. It's mine now. So that is great. The thing is that working with a producer is also good, or an engineer, or a team outside of yourself is also good because they give you those, that fresh eye perspective. Mm-hmm. Where I find myself, I get the tunnel vision. I'm like, I'm focusing on this kick drum. This kick drum just isn't right. Meanwhile, the song is fine. It's been done weeks ago. Like, you know, it's walk away. No one cares about that one kick drum except for me. So there is, in both scenarios, there is lots of pros and cons. 
Um, but for me, in terms of, especially in this day and age where the artists don't really, there's sort of a, almost like a ceiling when it comes to making, um, uh, let's say, your investment back sometimes mm-hmm. as an artist these days. Um, this works, this is more cost effective for me. Right. And it allows me to stay home with my kids when I, when I, when I need to. It allows me that flexibility so I'm not locked in. Um, so it kind of works for me. Right, yeah. And yeah, because you can essentially, because you're not tied to or bound to label requirements, you're not like, you need to go here, do this on this day um, because it's in the best interest of a label. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, Anything I do is because it's the best interest of me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it works out well. But I mean, you are a Christian man. Um, you know, yeah. and family's obviously important to you. So That's essentially right. you structured your life in such a way that you've put boundaries in place. Uh, you have yes. your passions and you have your desires on the, the professional front, but then at the same time, at any point in time, you can rein it in and say, you know what, I'm taking a month off. That's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly yeah. it. And there's pros and cons of that too. I mean, just to be brutally honest, there's a lot of times where I'm like, this would be really great for my career. Mm-hmm. But I shouldn't, because I'd be really bad for my family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you have to make the call, and yeah. and it's always worth it. But mm-hmm. you know, some other people will say that was a bad choice. I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, another question I wanted to ask, because um, we've been talking to a lot of authors, so I haven't been able to talk music mm-hmm. questions. But um, from your perspective, uh, is there still a hunt or a, a huge desire for or advantage in getting onto Christian radio? Yes, I believe there is. Because mm. um, um, I know it's not easy to get yourself in circulation. Right. Um, yes, that, that's true. Because yeah, a lot of it has to do with, with networking. and Because um, I know there's a, even though it's not well known, there is a conformity to radio with duration, with how quickly a chorus comes, a hook like, yeah. does that impact how you write songs or do you basically take a song the way you wanted to do it and then be able to conform it for a single for radio? Mm-hmm. What does that look like to Joe oh, Brown? Yeah, yeah. A little bit of both. There's lots of times when I I have a song that I'm like, this is, I like the way it is. I'm right. It's written from the heart. This is it. And then I realized this would be really good on radio. So yeah, I need to sort of go back and sort of tweak and make it work for radio. So in radio edit. Yeah. Um, I actually have a song called Second Hand Heart, which the original version, I think, was like almost four minutes and 48 seconds. Wow, that's a long song compared to radio. It's a long song for, exactly, right? So I went back and chopped it up and made it a little bit tighter and stronger, um, for radio, that is. And and now they're like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. (laughs) So, yeah, completely. And then there's, uh, sometimes I just write specifically for radio, so... I just released a radio single um, where um, I had the tops and the tails. So the beginning and the end of the song, there's a little bit more of an instrumental buffer so the radio guys can talk over it on either end. But the, between the, when the song starts, when the actual lyrics start, it's only like a three-minute and ten-second song. Right. Yeah. Um, and very, like, the chorus hits before a minute mark. It's very standard radio Format, yeah, so. no, that's that's good because I've been on both yeah. ends where I'm friends with radio, friends with artists, and artists. Sometimes artists say, "Well, you're conforming me, you're you're ruining the flow, like that. I just can't feel the song." And then the radio guy, on the other hand, saying, "Yeah, but keep in mind that we we have a certain way we have to do things. So that's and right. we want to help you. So can you help us by you know letting us help you? 
if you get it down to three minutes and 15 seconds or whatever the, exactly. the magic number is, it becomes a teaser for your album. That's exactly yeah, it. Because no one would have any problem playing a sampling of a song and not feel like it's ruined the song because you just want somebody to hear it. Yeah. There so it there's, is. there's always yeah. two perspectives. And again, like if you, if you Google anything, you're going to get opinions. Um, <laughs> right. You know, the other thing <laughs> yeah. is uh, specific to Canada that U.S. listeners won't understand is we have a certain level of Canadian content that has to be out there. Um, yeah. unfortunately the pool, at least from my opinion, and I'm included in this because most of my stuff, I just, is just not good enough for radio, uh, personally. Um, but that's not, it's not my goal right now. My, my role. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I can knock myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just cause I don't do it doesn't mean I don't understand it. That right. the talent pool just is not anywhere near. Um, you know, there's a lot of artists out there in Canada uh, but some of them just need to be worship leaders in church. Like that, you know, yeah. they're, whether it's production, like basically I, I could take the Gunger approach. He always has this thing where, you know, he's listening on the, on the bus and he's like, I could tell you in three seconds yeah. if it's a Christian song. Um, I can tell yes. in three seconds. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I can tell in yeah. three seconds or less if it's a Canadian Christian song. That's um, right. You know, because it seems to be a certain um, flavor to it. And Totally. I feel bad about that in a sense. Um, how have you been able to overcome that? Because honestly, I didn't. I didn't hear any kind of Canadianized feel in the way you produced your music. Um, you know, how did you go about putting the production together and, and gathering all the pieces? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I guess for me, like I, especially when I was younger, I did a lot of recording. Um, even when I was in my teenage years, I had like a four track and I was always studying the great producers in terms of how they put things together and how they made sounds and trying to, even though I only had a four track machine, for those, who guys, for those who don't know what a four track machine is, it's a, uh, it's a recording device that records on an old cassette tape mm -hmm. and what it does, it splits the audio up into four different channels so you can record like one channel could be drums, one channel could be bass, one channel could be guitar, the fourth could be vocals and you can bounce the tracks and like, anyway. It's a great little device for young people starting right. out. And that's what I had and that's what I used. And so I, I would do myself. I'd get bands over. I'd just record and really try to emulate what, what the Bob Ezrins or the Clear Mountains or the Dan Lanois or the Brian Eno's, trying to reproduce what they were doing. Um, that's why I sort of learned and taught myself production. And I think I sort of carried that work ethic to even now. So I'm always saying, who are the great guys and what are they doing? And how do they do that? Mm. And I attempt to sort of mimic or, let's be honest, steal their production ideas because they're so good. And what they do is such great work. I want to learn from the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in terms of the whole Canadian-American thing, um, I think you're right. Like, There's definitely like a sound um, that comes out of Canada. Um, a part of it is just a matter of cash mm -hmm. um, because – it's expensive to record and usually what we hear on the radio are label guys or people who just save their money <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. right right and who you know saved a lot of money went into a great studio with a great producer came up with a great product usually in Canada it's we can't afford it um, or if we want that sound we have to go down to Nashville to get it so that's even more cash and so it's always a, a, a topic about budgets yeah. at least 
uh, maybe I'm wrong actually. Maybe it's not, but that's it seems to be from my perspective it is. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm tracking with you because I I feel the same way when when I hear artists. Um, I mean, I'll just pick on somebody because I know her, Amy Savin. You know, she right. went to Nashville. Nashville, specific, that's right. You know, Egg Cash. One of the best producers, yeah. period. Like he's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. So when you see a name like that, you know, he's so busy, she has to work around his schedule. However, she knows in the end when she comes back, the mastering is it's just going to be there you know other than tweaks that's she'll exactly, be happy yeah that's um we just don't have the right. same level of resources i guess you could say and i and i'm i guess i'm not being fair to canadian producers there's a lot of great ones i mean i'm more we love mean, you canadian well, producers yeah. we love you we love you so much i guess i'm more <laughs> saying in the christian realm it's so limited um yes. you know the the guys like daniel lemoir or you know like ones that are doing u2 and brian adams and you know like you know yeah. and, you know bands like that it's a different caliber, uh, but you're right. Yeah. It's all cost prohibitive. The yeah. other issue, uh, which we both know because we both produce music is um, we have tools in our home and sometimes we get a bit overconfident with what we are capable of. Right. Um, so for our, our producer engineer types out there, and there are a lot of them that listen to us because um, I'll be talking to mastering engineers shortly. Um, cool. What are, um, you know, what are your go-to tools that you use? So, you know, software, computer, like what's your setup? So if guys are starting out like my son, he can listen mm. to this and go, oh, that's how he does that. You know, like what's your go-to <laughs> setup? Um, for me, like I've been a Mac user since I was, actually since I was a kid. My uncle used to work for Apple back in the heyday. So he got me all these Mac computers all the time. I was always a nerd because I always, everybody else had a PC <laughs> And I had a Mac, and those are you're you know beat up when you had a Mac in those days. But now days, you're right? cool. Like, yeah, Macintosh. <laughs> but now I'm like, hey, I can program in a Mac. Look at me. So yeah, uh, I've been using a Mac for a very very long time. Um, so I have a Mac Pro, an old Mac Pro. I always get used Mac computers. Trust me, people, get the used stuff. It's cheaper, and it'll still work for another six yeah. years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I have an old Mac, and then my software is. Um, Logic Pro 10, which, ladies and gentlemen, if you are in um, producer world and you cannot afford the Pro Tools setup, which is probably the best, if you can't afford that, Logic Pro X is, in my opinion, one of the best softwares ever created by the hands of man. <laughs> it is, it, it's, everything you need is right there in one package, and it's only like 200 bucks. Wow, okay. That, that's good um, to know, because that's like, that's a step up from GarageBand severely. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. if you're a GarageBand user, which comes preloaded, then you get a teaser, and you're able to learn how to interact with tracks. Completely. Yeah. And they made Logic, the new Logic Pro, pretty much the same way that GarageBand is laid up. It's they pretty much copied the GarageBand feel and um, aesthetic, if you yeah. will, but made it more robust mm -hmm. in terms of what you can do with it. So it's great software. Right. Um, and then for mics. Just like Dan, I have the SM7B, which is uh, probably one of the best vocal mics, especially if you're recording at home. Um, it just cuts away all that ambient noise that you don't want in your tracks. So it's great. And it's cheap, uh, relatively right. cheap. It's between 300 and 400 bucks, if I remember correctly. I can't well, that's remember. That's for, years. for a vocal mic, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And this is the, the mic that like Michael Jackson used on, on Thriller, uh, James Hetfield used on Metallica, Black Album. Like it's a pretty big, famous microphone, yeah. and it's cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then my issue, 
and hopefully it's, it'll be you or something you guys focus on as well, is I have a digital interface, an audio interface. Mine actually sucks. <laughs> so n- now that I said that, I should, probably shouldn't say the name of the company. Should That's I? Okay. Yeah, I'm I will. I will. From them. <laughs> uh, they're fair enough. It's the M Audio Profire Twenty Six Twenty Six. It's terrible. Don't That's buy hilarious. it. That's um, hilarious. I have the Profire Twenty Six Twenty Six. I I I actually never use it. Um, I right now for even podcasting, I use the little fast track thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's yeah. Hilarious. I just I just find that I mean sonically I have no problems with it, um, but I find that it drops out quite often right in the middle of a recording. So that's why I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm saving up for um, either the Apogee or the the new UAD A channel. I can't what it's called. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but even with that, producers out there, if you have a chance to save up a little bit more money or do what I did for the first years of my life. Um, of my recording life, rent stuff. Rent a great preamp. Pretty much if you go to a music store and you say, what's a really great preamp for recording? They'll give you one of the big guys, like a Universal Audio LA610 or a Great River MV Pre or one of those kind of big main guys. Just go there, learn how to use it. Um, there's great YouTube videos online in terms of how to get great sounds or settings um, for vocals, for drums. Mm-hmm. If you have even just one thing in your chain, just for vocals, bass, guitars, you're laughing. That's that's awesome. That's exactly the kind of feedback I'm looking for, because uh, there are a lot of quote unquote geeks that you know that they're like there's yeah. classifications of nerd and geek, and I'm, I I always yes. struggle between the two. But um, <laughs> so right now right. I'm the, I'm the geek and Joe's the nerd on our podcast, but, <laughs> but we're both project managers, so we like talking gear. Um, hey, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, yeah we're very. We like we like to get down to the granular on frequency, but uh, but having said all that, because really I'm trying to package your your back end to to bring us to what you're doing now, because you just released an album, which is which is yes. a feat in itself these days to have the time, especially with a, a day job and a family. Um, so, how did the album come to be? And, um, and then we'll talk about, you know, how to get it. Yeah. Um, long story short, cause it is actually a long story. I was recording in Winnipeg. I was living in Winnipeg at the time and I brought in a couple of my friends and I said, Hey, let's just jam on some stuff and see what happens. And at the end of the night we came up with like five or six songs. And I was like, these songs are really cool, but this is one song I really, really like a lot. And it was called where the heart is. And so I took it back home to my home studio, um, started tweaking it, actually, you know, structured the song a little more, wrote better lyrics instead of me sort of going, do-do-do-do-do-do-do in the <laughs> mic. Um, and, and so I said, hey, guys, here's a song. And they were like, dude, dude, you got to release this. I'm like, well, we'll see what happens. I don't know. What's, I don't know what I'm going to be doing the rest of my I don't know. I began writing more songs in that kind of – where it wasn't really like a Christian worship song, nor was it really like a Christian pop song. It was a song from a Christian's perspective, just about that longing for home, mm-hmm. that long or that sense of home, or that sense of um, of peace, of comfort, of safety. Right. Um, but knowing that right now I'm homeless, I I don't have that, and I probably won't have that for years. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so there's a lot of tension in that. And I was like, I miss songs with tension. 
Because it's not a whole lot of tension in Christian pop music. Yeah. There's not any tension in worship music for the most part. Um, you know, that whole idea of lament in worship, and lament in the Christian songbook, it's not quite there. And so I figured, let me, I would love to write a project about just the tension in relationships. Um, not in a whiny way, not in like, oh, my spouse is so mean to me kind yeah, of way. Yeah. Um, but in a way saying, you know what? Um, whether it's just me internally going through stuff, knowing that there is hope, knowing that there is um, a better version of me out there that I need to grow into, mm-hmm. <laughs> or whether it's um, uh, understanding that my wife is a flawed individual, I'm going to love her through that. I'm an extremely flawed individual, <laughs> and she foolishly loves me <laughs> yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. I want to write songs and sing songs about that, because I think um, people, whether you're faith-based or not, even though we don't like to sing about it, I think we understand that that's true for all of us. Yeah. yeah. And I figured, what a great, what a cool idea, what a cool story to sort of build something on. So I began writing songs around that sort of framework, just tension in marriage, and not depressing, just understand that I suck. Yeah. Well, and, and to be totally honest, when I first was going to listen to your album, I thought I could pigeonhole you pretty quick, um, mm. you know, just you know, from appearance or from influence or from sure. friends, yeah. And then I listened, <clears throat> and it was like, well, number one, this doesn't suck. So kudos to you. <laughs> but you have a, a a techno dancey synth sound that I haven't heard in a while. And mm. is that inherent with how you produce, or is that like is that your sound? Would you say that you have a specific sound to your music? That's a good question. I think so. I think if I had to boil it down, uh, I love, I was a huge fan of the DJ movement in like the early and late 90s. So like that kind of electronica, trip hop, Porter's Head Tricky, um, that kind of style. Um, so, you know, lots of beats, lots of noises, samples. I was a big guy at that. So I loved hip hop. Mm-hmm. But I loved the writing aspect, the hooks aspect that I didn't find in hip hop a lot. It yeah. um, wasn't, wasn't just like a vocal hook during the chorus, but like actually having great writing throughout the song. Mm-hmm. And so trip hop, electronica seemed to have that. It had the beats of, of the hip hop, but it had this great musical elements with live instruments or sampled instruments. Um, but then I'm also like a rock guy. Like I love rock. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up on, you know, like. Like there was this band in the '80s called Living Color, okay. and it was like these um, bunch of African Americans with like dreads and shredding guitars. <laughs> and I was like, "These guys are awesome! <laughs> I love that stuff." And so, um, I'm definitely not an '80s rocker. I'm definitely not a shredder. That's I was when I was you know like 14, but not anymore. I haven't practiced enough. But I love rock music. I love pop music. I love singer songwriter music. And so. I try, it seems to me, yeah, I, I sort of lean towards a singer-songwriter aesthetic, um, but with lots of beats and like electronical elements in there. That's just, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's sort of my safe place. No, that's, that's, <laughs> like, that's yeah. great, because I do find it actually somewhat unique. Um, you know, and I, again, I, I'm a critic, um, you know, especially in the Christian realm, because I just don't like it sure. when Christians put crappy stuff out. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and again, I'm, I'm not a banjo lover. I'm not, 
you know, yes. if you see it, a YouTube video from Bethel Church, you know, with a big, huge, you know, tom drum, we got to go buy one for our church, you know, like. Yes, exactly. So I guess I'm a bit cynical <clears throat> because I find that music does like there's a river that flows and more people get in it. The river gets bigger and then everyone jumps in it and then it turns into an ocean and no one wants to go in it. There we go. Um, I'm very cautious of that. I didn't find any of that in your album. Um, mm. And I guess that's why, you know, I'm a believer. <laughs> when when you can take singer-songwriter elements, uh, songwriting aspects where you're deliberate about lyrics, but then delivering it vocally, um, mm. you don't have... You, you have other people that contributed to this vocally, uh, musically as well. Is it safe to say? Um, did I? Yes. <laughs> of course. Sorry. Yeah, I was like, did I have it? Yeah, I had a great drummer play drums on four of the tracks. I had um, just before I released the record, I, I brought my keyboard player in to play something really cool on one of the songs. Um, yeah, so I had, and I had a buddy from Winnipeg play guitar on Secondhand heart, and he just killed it. So, yeah, yeah so, so I did. somewhat yeah. collaborative because, exactly, like you said, when you get other people involved, even if it's just friends, yeah, exactly, the right yeah. friends, they will say, Yeah, I don't like that song, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, exactly. or like you said before, that man, you got to release this, it's awesome, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, but then you, you take uh, live drumming, which I heard in the, rec the recording, but then beats. Um, you know, and you actually right. mixed it all together. Um, again, I was one of those guys that had, I had a Yamaha, uh, MT8X eight track tape recorder. <laughs> I still have it. And the, the local long McQuaid guy is dying for me to give it to him because yeah, the en engine is kind of dying man. out a bit, but I don't want to <laughs> release it because it's vintage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you're actually feeding my geek <laughs> in a sense. Cause I get to listen to your production. Um, but what, what would you classify yourself? I'm going to wrap this up, but how would you classify yourself as a producer, as an artist, as a singer songwriter or a collection of all? A collection of all for sure. Okay. Um, if, if I had to give up on one of those things, I would die. Mm. Like I would emotionally, spiritually just die. Mm -hmm. Um, I need them all. I love producing. I love producing for other people. I love doing that. I love writing songs even for myself. Yeah. I love singing them. But I also love being on stage and sharing these stories and these songs with other people. It's, that's, for me, actually, that's where the magic really happens. That's where all the work you do, I do in this, in this room with my kids banging on the door. <laughs> <laughs> right? It really comes alive when I'm on stage. Yeah, if I got rid of one of those things, I'd... Yeah, yeah. no, that's, it's good to know. And I asked for a couple reasons. Number one, when, you, when somebody picks up, say they pick up your album, and they're listening mm -hmm. from whatever, wherever record label is, and they say, I want to sign you, you now have tension. Be because mm. you will have to remove producer and tour manager and all these other aspects out of your life. So it would yes. actually be prohibitive to you to get signed, in a sense. Yes. Uh, for me, I would need to co-produce. That I would do. Mm -hmm. um, unless they say, hey, we want to set you up with one of your heroes. So if all of a sudden said, dude, we'll call Lan Wah up, and you can work with Dan. I'd be like, here are the yes, keys. Yes, Take yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Go. Um, 
yeah, because then I would just sit there and drool over everything he does. Like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> that, you know, that's fine. But otherwise than that, yeah, like I would really have a hard time with that. Maybe I'm a control freak. Maybe. I don't know. But I think I just really love that process. And I think taking that process away from me completely, yeah, but like, oh, half the fun is gone. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people would say, yeah, but it's just producing. It's just mixing stuff. Anyone can work on a computer. You know, I've heard that before, and I think to myself, yeah. all of that, like doing it yourself, adds so much value and ownership to a song. Yes, because you yes. will remember the tedious um, time you took to trim out like w- weird noises on a hi hat track, or That's or right. the sub lows on a kick drum. Um, yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah. that actually that'll resonate a lot more than when people listen to a song at face value and go, well, that, that's awesome. I can sing it. I'm in my kitchen and I'm still singing it. Um, when you hear the song, you're hearing or like you're remembering who played it with you or that's what right. the keyboard sound it is. Cause you, you know, cause I still, I listen to, for example, uh, newsboys, um, not ashamed album. And that's the Korg ONW keyboard. That's the right. Whole my album, that's right. I had one. That's right. Um, you know, like, <laughs> Cause that's how I can tell asking people this question. If you're a producer's yeah. mind or if you're an artist's mind, because when right. I talk to other artists, they say, I don't know, you know, I just like to sing or, you know, I'm all about lyrics, you know, cause you can tell an artist who's a writer artist and an artist who's right. a singer artist. Yes. Um, yeah. So basically what I'm saying is producing is an artistry that other people look at it as like a, like just a task. That's right. You know, like that's exactly you, right. It's like painting a picture, you know. It is. So even getting to the to the geekazoid level of do you color your your rhythm tracks a different color than your vocal tracks and stuff like that, you know, how you label your software. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So, but I've asked you a ton of geek backend questions. Now you've got the album. It's released. Uh, Was it two Tuesdays ago yeah. or three? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thanks too. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, where is the album now? Where can people buy it? What's it called? First of all, and where can people buy it? The album is called analog love in digital times part one. Nice. And, uh, it's up on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Yay for iTunes. But it's also up on my website, drewbrownmusic.com for a cheaper price. What up? Awesome. Saving money. Um, and then if you're one of those streamers who stream their music, it's on all the streaming sites around the world right now. Audio, Spotify, yeah. Yeah, Rhapsody, stuff like that. Yeah, that's oh, right. That's great. Um, yeah. And recently you had a chance to play live somewhere. Where was that? It was, uh, I think it was at an awards place. Oh, yeah, yeah. We we did a, a, a small tour from Toronto to BC. It's actually not a small tour. It's actually a pretty large tour. <laughs> no, I think you about it. On it. We went across, yeah, <laughs> went across the country, and we had a chance to play at the Covenants Awards, and I was nominated for four awards. Came home empty-handed, but that's okay. It's yeah, fine. getting Nothing nominated good. is awesome. It, it, exactly, yeah, and um, and we had a chance to perform at the at the awards show, and that was fantastic. And then they told us actually the performance was good enough, and they liked it, mm. so we're going to televise it. So the week after that. Went on uh, nationwide televised, and that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Really, really well, cool. Well, um, you know, I got to wrap up, but just throw out your social media really quick so people know how to connect with you. Um, you can reach me on pretty much everything 
if you go to Drew Brown Music, so it's Twitter at Drew Brown Music, Facebook at Drew Brown Music, um, SoundCloud, Drew Brown Music, I can't remember where else. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. YouTube, YouTube at Drew Brown Music. Great. Yeah. Again, it was great uh, having you on the podcast, and I hope to hear more of your music. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks, man. Cool, Dan. Thank you for sharing that interview with uh, Drew Brown. I actually finished listening to the whole interview just this morning. Um, we did start recording at 6 a.m. my time uh, and 10 a.m. his time, and we both woke up effectively a half hour before that, that having been said. Um, <laughs> so I listened to it this morning, and, man, I love the the rapport between you two in the interview. I love hearing as you guys are talking about things like what color your drum tracks should be um, and, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the different, even the things that I'm beginning to understand, there's a little bit of an underhand current about uh, if you're a lyric guy, then you're not a real artist. I heard that, Dan, <laughs> and um, I resent that. <laughs> yeah, it's But funny. I do, I, I do understand that I don't think people recognize really the artistry that's involved in producing and you really can't appreciate it until you've done some and you can see what goes into it. I mean, I had zero perspective on the value that that role brings until I started working with you on stuff and recognizing, wow, this, these people bring some remarkable stuff to the table. I had no idea. And so it's cool listening to you guys. And now that I have some appreciation for it. Yeah. And, and uh, even the nuances of, of, what happens in a in the production realm because a producer audio engineer can actually make or break a recording because if they don't capture it well in the beginning it'll fail if they don't wrap it up well in the end it could fail because you can overproduce you can do crazy weird things with effects that the artist did not intend you know even something as simple as as gate or compression on a track if you know right. if you understand that it can really, really take away from a vocal if it cuts off too early and you don't hear the breath and you don't hear the an actual the actual what should happen when someone's singing. It just becomes robotic. Yeah, like if you get the wrong producer, wrong engineer, it can really hurt you. And that's why a lot of uh, singer songwriters really try to use GarageBand or or the next step up on their computer and do it themselves because they want to be in more control of the process. Yeah, unfortunately, they don't necessarily. There's there's not enough people who recognize going from an amateur to a professional producer, what that represents. Yeah. So, I mean, I know for myself as I look back to the recordings I did, say, fifteen, sixteen years ago, when I was trying to record my own songs as singer songwriter. No idea. Mm -hmm. I had I I I realized how many mistakes I made thinking that I was doing something right. When I, I, I'm a pretty good songwriter, but I'm not a good instrumentalist and I, I'm not a good sound engineer and I'm not a good producer. I'm getting better, but 15, 16, 18 years ago, nothing. Shouldn't have bothered. But anyway, but I appreciated your interview. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and Drew's music is great and is definitely worthy of a, of a, of a listen from folks. I'm going to talk to him again because we're actually going to go into the gear realm um, Ooh. there were hints of, of us talking about it, where we talked about types of microphones. Uh, you know, he uses a, there's, there's a specific sure, I forget the exact one. Um, 
it's a shorter name. But anyways, it's the microphone they actually use a lot in radio. Uh, I just forget the model name, but it's on the podcast. You have to listen to it. And uh, we talk about how we actually use the same recording interface. And I had a great experience with it and he had a terrible one. So how do you deal with that kind of stuff um, when you're talking about the same gear and, and you get two opinions? There's a lot of different things about technology uh, that are just, you know, they're very specific to people. But we're going to specifically have an episode talking about the technology of mixing, mastering, and gear, when to introduce a mastering engineer or, a, or have someone else produce your stuff and when you should look at that. Right. Um, so that'll be another thing we re- revisit in the next quarter. So look out for that. Another interview with Drew Brown regarding gear and technology. It would be great at the same time if we could share what we're using because I know that you and I have, over the past year have transitioned to using the same software and love it. You know, I'm not going to shout it out right now. It'd be great for the gear episode. But as we have made changes to our, let's call it infrastructure, mm-hmm. we've um, found some great tools that are working really well for us. They're not, they're not gifts. We pay for them out of our own pocket. Um, so we really, we wouldn't spend $400 on a piece of software if we didn't really get some value out of it. So we'll do some, I I would love to include in that. Here's what we're using and give a shout out to the the companies that are, um, benefiting us through their products. Yeah, no. And, and, uh, as we close, um, you know, continue to listen in, we will have more interviews coming. Uh, we're also going to share about the the audiobooks and the releases that we're doing through Travis Thrasher. And be sure to connect with us online. We're always on Twitter and Facebook. You can reach us at, um, at Frequency FM on Twitter. Joe and I both connect on there. Uh, we have our own handles as well. Joe's is easy. It's just at Joe Brookhouse. Mine is at Dan Thompson with no P in it and two M's on the end. And if you want to know why I have two M's on the end, you can always send me a note and find out. Yeah. And uh, on Facebook, Frequency FM, we have a Facebook page. I will say I'm, I'm disappointed that Facebook wants you to pay to have people look at our stuff. So if you could get yourself notified on Facebook, you can go onto our page and actually hover over the like button and say um, get notifications so you can actually hear from us in your feed instead of it just being random. So if you could do that, that'd be great. And also Google Plus, we are on there and we will continue to post even if no one else is there. That's right. Even if we're shouting in an empty warehouse, we will be there because it's still the best technological tool set for social media, even if nobody uses it. Uh, Yeah, even if it's just because a lot of people have Gmail. So they have to log into their email anyways. One click over with the plus beside their name is not a difficult thing to do. True, true. Yeah, but, you know, it's been great, Joe, and I look forward to the next episode. Excellent. Take care, sir. We'll see you in, I don't know, we'll see you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, God bless. God bless.